Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jay Hamilton, and we're going to discuss the topic of Web3 and trust and how trust in the world of Web3 will unlock the future of commerce. I think you're going to really enjoy this fascinating dialogue between Jay and myself. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter, and at Web3Examiner on Warpcast. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. Let's transition over this week's interview with Jay Hamilton. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jay Hamilton. If you don't know who Jay is, he's the co-founder of Web3 Academy, an awesome newsletter focused on Web3. His company is called Impact3, an agency that helps newsletter and podcast creators grow. Jay, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great. So excited to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. Today, Jay and I are going to explore Web3 and trust and how it will unlock the future of business and commerce. But before we go there, I want to hear your backstory. Start wherever you want to start. And how'd you get into Web3, Jay? Yeah, sure. So a serial entrepreneur my whole life. Started probably when I was a a teenager running a like landscaping business and a painting business in my neighborhood and then progressed through some, some businesses that did well and some that failed. So many journeys along the way. And then about three years ago, started a digital marketing agency focused on online courses initially, but as one does as an entrepreneur, pivot, pivot, pivot. And we pivoted to newsletters and podcasts because we saw just an incredible rise in creators developing incredible content and looking for support in the way that they grew. And as part of that, we at the same time, I say we, myself, my business partner, who Kyle Reedhead, who has, I know you've had on your show before, we were interested in crypto and Web3. And so we started to work with Bankless sort of early in their journey as a leading crypto newsletter, helping them on the growth side, which we were experts in. From working with them, we saw that wow, there's this, you know, huge opportunity. Back then it was really just crypto. You know, Web3 wasn't yet the word that was used. It was still, you know, financial revolution and investment was all based upon Bitcoin and Ethereum was building and growing, but it wasn't, you know, where it is now where it's, you know, NFTs and identity and all these other things. And so we we sort of said, hey, we think that there's an opportunity for us to be leaders in creating great content for creators and 
business-minded folks, whether they be working a business or whether they be entrepreneurs that want to start their own business and help them understand this sort of new Web3. What does that mean and how do they use it to whether it be monetize or to build better communities, all the amazing things that Web3 allows to do. For those that don't know Bankless, Bankless is kind of like the leading podcast in crypto, in my personal opinion. They've got a massive audience. How'd you guys hook up with the Bankless guys and kind of what were you helping them with in the early days? Yeah, that was a, a classic cold tweet that Kyle reached out to Ryan and said, hey, we were big fans of what they were doing. And we had experience in growing newsletters. Up until that point, we hadn't done anything in crypto. We had done more financial and tech newsletters and podcasts. but the same tactics applied, right? So, so yeah, so we just reached out and yeah, one thing led to another and it really was what really led us down the rabbit hole. I should also mention, I forgot to tell the, the quick story that I bought the top of basically everything when I came into Web3. Like I definitely came in for the money, I won't lie. And I think a lot of people do, right? Came for the money, stayed for the tech. Uh, and yeah, I came in, I bought the top of Ethereum in 2019. I bought the top of Moonbirds, <laughs> was that about a year ago or slightly less than a year ago. So it's been, uh, I, I'm certainly not great on the investment side. So it's a good thing that our show is not about investment, but is about the business utility because that part I understand well. So about a year ago, you guys started Web3 Academy, right? Why'd you decide to call it Web3 Academy and really what's the mission? Yeah, we decided to call it Web3 Academy because we wanted Web3 in our name for the SEO juice, to be perfectly honest, and to show up first in all the rankings. I'm sure you've had similar thoughts when you put Web3 at the front of your name. And also, we picked the word academy because we realized that education was so key. When you have any new tech, it's so hard to learn because the UX is so bad. The, all the, the apps that are out there are... They're they're made by developers. We're not yet at the point where we have, you know, product teams and UX and UI teams coming in and making incredible apps the way that we can enjoy a lot of the Web 2 apps. Web 3 apps are still in their infancy. So we knew there was a need for a lot of education in the space. And also we knew there was a need for legitimacy and legitimate education because there is just, for better or for worse, this is the Web 3 is you know, the internet of value. And with the internet of value comes financial opportunity. And with financial opportunity comes a lot of speculation and a lot of scammers and a lot of people that are trying to take advantage of the system. And that leads a lot of people to, you know, to get rugged, as they say in Web3, or to, you know, lose their money. And so we knew that there needed to be a trusted source. So yeah, so our mission is really to be the trusted source for legitimate and useful information in Web3 that focuses on creators, businesses, and entrepreneurs. So why don't you share a little bit about the the frequency of content and, and the mediums that you're using to create all this content? For sure. So we we do three podcasts a week. Podcast episodes, not three different podcasts, right? Yeah, three podcast episodes. Yeah, yeah okay. three podcast episodes a week. And then on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then we also produce three newsletters a week. So those are our two main sources. Uh, I think as you and I talked about, uh, if you're a creator or an entrepreneur or a small business, we do social media as well. But podcast and email are such such powerful tools where you actually own your audience, where you actually own your community, which 
sort of, we might touch on that and how that works in Web3 as well. Well, and your newsletter is pretty detailed and I think it's sourced from your podcast, if I'm not mistaken, or is it the other way around? I feel like there's some, some congruency between those two, right? Yeah. Yeah. What we, what we've done so far is it's, you know, we're a small team and producing a lot of content is, is a ton of work, right? So we tried to, we sort of took the Gary V, you know, content pyramid approach, right? Of, okay, can we produce one piece of long form content and then turn that piece into other forms of content? And in our case, we uh, one we actually go both ways. One piece of our content each week starts as a podcast and then turns into a newsletter. Another one starts as a newsletter and then turns into a podcast. And then the third one actually kind of it's congruent. They sort of both happen at the same time. Well, and I love the work that you guys are doing, especially with your weekly wrap up where you guys talk about kind of the big stuff that, you know, it needs to be talked about at the end of the week, the business model right now you have, you did decide to do something with some NFTs, right? Or no, not NFTs. I'm part of this. I bought whatever it was. I don't remember exactly what it was, but you have a membership kind of thing, right? Yeah. So we have NFTs, but we didn't do a big NFT drop. Well, I would say we are as many businesses, especially small businesses that don't have large teams, but even big enterprises right now, we are testing the waters in Web3 and slowly wading in, you know, we're in the shallow end right now. We're not yet, we're not diving into the deep end. So what what we decided to do is the, the traditional newsletter monetization is our business model. So we sell a premium side of our newsletter where we have one newsletter a week that you pay to get access to. And that is basically the difference is the free stuff is all research that we are doing without going on chain. The paid stuff, we go on chain and we do deep research into uh, the on-chain analytics to tell a story from what we're seeing there. Uh, We did do an NFT along with the premium. So if you signed up for premium, you got an NFT. And now what we're starting to do is we are starting to use that NFT to token gate access. So there's a, a channel in Discord that's token gated that you get access to. There's a perks and members, perks and benefits page, where if you have a token, you can access that page and then you can get access to various benefits and tokens. And in the future, we're actually talking about right now doing a, this is not for sure, for sure yet, but it's likely going to happen in the next month is that we're going to start doing a monthly event in the metaverse uh, and you'll have to have the NFT to access that event. The reason why I invited Kyle on the show and now Jay on the show from Web3 Academy is because these guys are in the trenches writing and creating audio content every week, multiple times a week about what's happening in the world of Web3. And I feel like you guys are doing just really great work. My next question is trust. So why is trust so important in Web3? What's the problem, if you will, with Web2 and trust that Web3 is going to solve? I'm so, I'm so glad you asked this question, Michael, because I'm just I'm so fired up about this topic right now, because let me start with this. The reason that I got the internet in 1999, I'm, I'm 37 now. And back in 99, I was 14 years old. And I begged my parents to get the internet so that I could illegally steal music, to put it quite frankly, so Napster. that I could <laughs> use Napster and, and get music so that I could burn CDs because that's what all my friends were doing. And uh, 
if I was really to be honest, it was probably because I wanted to impress girls because I was a tall, skinny teenager with big buck front teeth. Uh, so I needed all the help I could get. But that has turned into a pervasive culture where we just accept stealing from artists. And that is that is just one of many issues that the internet has. The internet has prevented great innovation and great growth, but it's also allowed us to sort of eliminate trust. And trust extends beyond the internet, just in general, as a culture, as a society, as a humanity. We don't trust each other as much anymore. And that's leading to a lot of issues. And I'm really excited to be talking about how blockchain specifically, so blockchain, I would consider a piece of Web3, one piece of Web3. And blockchain enables a trust layer on the internet that we didn't have before. Well, I think what I hear you saying is right now in the world of Web 2, it seems as if, especially right now, people can be anonymous, but they can also be anonymous in Web 3 too, right? It's less about anonymous. It's, what is it? Like what, when you say trust, you mean trusting individuals? Do you mean authenticating stuff? I mean, like, like that word trust, you know, like is kind of a big word. So maybe connect the dots between Web 3 and trust and why, you know, because that's maybe a little nebulous, you know? Yeah, I think that there's there's a few simple explanations is one is the is the stealing from artists. So creators don't trust users anymore because creators are stuck saying, "Hey, can I get some acknowledgement and some compensation ideally for my work?" And they they don't know because the internet allows so much access and so much copying of information because what we we did with the internet was we just we created something that pushed information out there to the masses, right? So on the creator side, they don't trust users and they don't trust platforms because they don't know who is using their creations because it can easily be stolen and it can easily be duplicated and, and there's no record of that. There's no ledger, no database that shows, oh, this is this is where my work started, and then this person over here went and used it for something else, right? So that's on the creator side. On the user side, really, users have a big issue with platforms because users don't trust platforms because platforms have basically thrown the middle finger to users' privacy. Yeah, right? they, they, said, they just mine them for for money, basically. Right? Exactly, right? So platforms sort of the Web two platforms started collecting all this data, whether or not they had the intention of selling the data in the beginning. I'm not sure if that was, you know, if, if Mark Zuckerberg was sitting, you know, in his Harvard dorm room back when he first started Facebook, you know, being like, oh, I'll create an advertising business. Like, I, I doubt it, quite frankly. Like, I Well, think here's that, what I can tell you. A couple of years in, he was pretty clear on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It yeah, didn't take exactly. him long, like two years in or something like that. He knew that's how he was going to make money. He knew that was the way. So, but, but users don't trust platforms because users have no ownership over their data because when you sign up for any platform, you're required to create an account and you create that account on that platform. That platform now owns that data, which means they can, I mean, depending upon their business model, they could use that data however they want, uh, but they also have to store that data and you can't take that away from them, right? There's no way for you to control that. And then, on the platform side, platforms are scared because platforms don't want to give up control. So they don't want to give 
anything back to the creators or to the users because platforms have done so well by just extracting value. So all platforms keep doing is extracting more value. I mean, Netflix being the great recent example where they made this big change where all of a sudden everybody has to enter their IP address and you can no longer share your Netflix with other households because they're just trying to extract more value. And so all of these things lead to a lack of trust between those three parties. There is no... Everybody is trying to get their own and look out for themselves because nobody's looking out for them, right? And that's that's what Web2 has created. And I, that's a result of the tech. Like that is, there's nothing, It's I wouldn't even blame anybody for it. I wouldn't say it's the tech as much as it's the business models, right? It really is the business models. These business models with social side of things, you know, and I have another show called Social Media Marketing, are really built by their very nature to be extractive. You know, they're built to, give away something for free in exchange for becoming the product, you know, and, and now consumers are becoming more aware of that. Now we enter into this trust concept in web three. So how does web three change the game when it comes to trust? Well, let me first actually talk about the term trustless, because that's a really important term to understand. So in the context of blockchain, this refers to a system that doesn't require trust between parties in order to function. So typically, so in web two, we require trust in order to function. What that means is we have intermediaries, we have banks, we have credit card companies, we have government and financial institutions, we have platforms. Title insurance companies. Yeah. yeah. And they provide that trust layer. And so, and we just, we require, basically we need those intermediaries. Otherwise we can't transact because we, we lack trust. We don't naturally trust each other. Whereas in a trustless system, intermediaries aren't necessary because transactions are validated and recorded by a network of computers or nodes that record all of this on the blockchain in a safe and secure way. So it's transparent, it's verifiable, it's immutable, meaning you cannot alter it in any manner. So that that concept of trustless is really, and trustless is such a confusing word because it makes it sound like you don't need trust. It's somewhat misleading. Yeah. So the way I think about this is it's automated with technology is kind of the way I like to think about it, right? It's doing what a middleman used to do, but it's doing it in a way that's encrypted, secure, and validated, right? So for example, you know this, when we send a piece of uh, a little bit of crypto or digital collectible as an NFT between one account and another account, it, it goes through dozens of checks, you know, just to validate and verify that it's legit. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that's done now without a human, it's done through computer technology. And that allows us to do more peer to peer stuff, I guess, is where we're going with this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it allows us to do more peer to peer, but before we can do peer to peer, it allows, if we talk about the user, it allows the user to take self-custody of their stuff. And I say stuff because it's broad. So far, most of the self-custody we've been doing in Web3 has been self-custody of our crypto assets. However, there is a move towards self-custody of our identity. So in the best example of this is Lens versus Facebook. So Lens protocol is a social graph, a web three social graph 
built on NFT technologies, built on top of Ethereum. And essentially what it allows you is if I'm a user and I were to use, and I'm going to sort of hypothesize a bit here, give you a bit of a use case. Just real quick, before, before we go to Lens, uh, let's back up the train a little bit and just talk about when you have this trustless concept, when you have this ability to essentially transact without a middleman, first of all, it reduces fees and costs, right? Because usually middleman is always doing a markup, right? You think about what a distributor does, right? If you ever watch Shark Tank, they double it and then they double it again to the retailer, right? So you get rid of the middleman, you get rid of the cost structure, right? And let's just talk about how this can impact commerce and and the economy at a macro level before we get into the examples, just so people can wrap their heads around what this makes possible. Using the middleman example, Apple takes a 30% cut on all sales in the app store currently. That's a, That's a lot. big margin. That is a lot. So if you're a creator who is developing apps as your business, you know, or or even your your business requires you to have an app, you got to give 30% to Apple. That's too big, right? It's just it's an unreasonable take rate that they have. And web2 has created these very high take rates. So when we remove the middleman, we have much lower fees, right? So that's that's one thing. The other thing that that this trustless system allows is it allows the community to or the creator to connect directly with the user and to interact directly with the user. So I don't need a intermediary to help me sell something. I can just go directly to the user. So I don't need a an example it would be music. I don't need Spotify to help me reach these users. I can just sell music directly to a user because I can operate on chain. Yeah, and, and we should talk. I, I just had Violetta on my show. You may not know who she is, but she is a musician. She doesn't need to sell a lot of her songs to be very successful where she used to be on Spotify and she would have had to get like millions and millions of plays. Now she can get just a few thousand people buying her songs as NFTs and live off of that, right? So this kind of does change the models that a lot of businesses operate from, right? Because a lot of people that create things that are potentially mass market kind of things in their mind, they think they've got to be, for example, in a grocery store, right? Or in a Target or Walmart or a huge department store, right? And if anybody watches Shark Tank, they always say that's a nightmare, right? That's a nightmare because you're paying all these fees to be on end caps and they could send the product back. And, and, you know, they're always, that's why a lot of people in web two are saying direct to consumer is the way to go. Right. But even on Amazon, Amazon takes a big cut, right? They're, they're taking a massive cut. So this new concept here of a trustless system is going to allow anyone to sell anything. It seems for any price they want without having to do all this crazy markup right? And it's just going to unlock all sorts of opportunities for creators and, and other people. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're, you're completely right, Michael. A few other things to add is it also enables coordination that we couldn't have before. So you have DAOs now, decentralized autonomous organizations that are operating with thousands of people completely remote and they're managing a treasury and making decisions together, which are two things that were very difficult to do 
with a large organization. And some of them are doing with just hundreds of people too. I mean, like they're not very big numbers is what you really mean by this, right? I mean, it's a lot of people, but it's not like to do this previously, I, I guess would be very difficult. You'd have to go and you have to go to venture capitalists and get rejected and all this kind of stuff, right? They can just fund and do stuff, right? Yeah. Now you can just have a thousand people all put in a, I mean, Constitution Dow is an example of this, right? You know, a bunch of people put in a hundred bucks each and you can see that money. Everybody is transparent. Oh, this is where the money is. Okay. Anytime money goes out, everybody can see that money. Oh, we're all, we all, as a result of putting in money, we eat, this is the voting of how this money is going to be managed, right? So we each get one vote or there's different voting mechanisms, but you can enable that coordination in a trustless way on chain because it's all transparent. So anybody can see the treasury, anybody can see the voting. And that's a big part of what the trustless will allow as well. Okay, back to your lens protocol example. If we look at lens, what lens is doing is right now, sort of two two sides to this. One is the account. So right now on any web two social media, you log in with an account. And that account is a is an identity that you create on that social media platform. And that social media platform owns that data. So your all your personal information, they take that and they own that. Okay. On Lens, what you do is you connect with your wallet. So Lens doesn't know your email or your phone number or your address because they don't need to know that stuff. You just connect with your wallet and your wallet is your identity. And in the future, if you wanted to say, oh, Lens, you can no longer have access to my data, you could sever that access. So you could disconnect your wallet and they would no longer have access. So it's like, basically, it's like, think about the wallet like a vault and you're saying to Lens, oh, you can enter the vault and you can see the things that you need to see, but I can remove you from that vault in, in the future if I wanted to. So that's the, the account side. Then there's all of the content creation side. So uh, when we're on social media, we're making posts, we're liking things, we're commenting, we're posting photos, videos, all stuff that is ours. That's our, that's stuff about our lives, stuff that we are making. And right now, whichever social media platform you're posting on, they own that. So if I make posts on Instagram and I have a large following on Instagram, then Instagram at any time can remove that. They can take your entire business away. And we've seen it time and time again. I'm sure you've talked about it on your show, Social Media Examiner. And so what Lens does is Lens takes any type of engagement and turns it into an NFT. So if I make a post, uh, let's say I post a photo, that post becomes an NFT in my wallet. If I follow somebody, that relationship between us is an NFT. If I engage like I like or I comment on something, that engagement is an NFT. So it's creating all of these NFTs and those NFTs are owned by me. They're in my wallet. So I can control them. If I want to 
remove them. Let's say in the future, I don't want that content to be available to anybody. I can remove that. So it gives you, the user, a feeling of, oh my gosh, now that I'm on chain, I'm safe. I I know who has access to my data and I can control my data. Like we're putting privacy back and power back in the user's hands. I like the concept of a social platform built on the blockchain, utilizing this trustless concept where you have a wallet, you know, that you connect and your wallet is your identity. There's some other apps that you and I were talking about, like Gitcoin and peer-to-peer commerce. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about some of those applications so people can kind of wrap their brain around this also. Yeah, Gitcoin's really a really powerful. So Gitcoin is a public good funding platform, but really it could be used for any type of funding. So what Gitcoin allows is, let's take a hypothetical example. Let's say that Walmart wants to, does a partnership with the NBA and they want to build 20 basketball courts in America. And as part of this partnership, they are going to put up, Walmart's going to put up a million dollars in order to build these basketball courts. But they want, they don't just want to put up the money themselves. They want community engagement. They want the community to be involved, which is one of the things that leads to the best outcomes. It leads to more trust when you have community involved and also leads to more ownership of community assets. So what they can do is using Gitcoin, Walmart could create a grant matching round. So they'd put up a million dollars and they'd say, here's the 20, there's been 20 communities that have applied. They have those 20 communities listed and anybody can come in and they can donate to whichever one of those 20 communities they want. And what Gitcoin then does is it says, based upon the number of donors to each community, that is how they distribute the $1 million. So rather than distribute it evenly and just put it evenly, and rather than just saying, oh, one person came in, one person from Chicago came in and gave $100,000. Well, we should we should probably give more to Chicago. But one person doesn't really show the need for public good. Community shows the need for public good. Members, the number, quantity shows the need for public good. We get the most value from public goods when the most people use it. So what Gitcoin says is it says, okay, one person donated from Chicago, they gave $100,000, but a thousand people donated from Seattle and they, even though they each gave only $1, which is much less than the, than the other person, we should donate, we should give more money to Seattle because that community is going to need, they're going to use this public good more. They're going to value it more. And that is called quadratic funding, that concept of where the allocation goes. So that's, that's the power of Gitcoin is this ability to engage a community and just by them putting up dollars, you can allocate funds according to those dollars being put up. The the other hypothetical I like to talk about when I talk about Gitcoin is what you can imagine is, let's say that the next step is Walmart goes and starts building these basketball courts. And let's say the people in Seattle, well, Walmart says, well, we want to get these people involved. We want them to be involved in the management of the court or the administration of it or you know, deciding if it should be used for kids' leagues on Saturday or if it should be used for men's league, right? 
Well, what they can do is because all these donations were made on chain, they can go to these donors and they can say, as a result of your donation, you now have governance and you can now vote on the future of this court and you can create a committee. Whereas in the past, you you would A, you would have to trust that Walmart actually gave the money. You wouldn't even know, right? Like, did they give all of it? Did they give 20% of it? I'm glad you're talking about this part because up to this point, I'm thinking to myself, why couldn't they, somebody like use GoFundMe with some sort of quadratic thing and do all this in web too? And I think what I'm hearing you say is that this is because it's a contract, a smart contract, right? It's enforceable. Is that the difference here? Exactly. It's transparent. So it's A, it's enforceable, but it's also transparent. So once that money is in the wallet, you can see where it goes out. So if, if let's say, you know, everybody makes donations and half the money goes out to, you know, somebody, some, somebody's salary, you're going to be like, well, that's, that's not right. Like I wanted to, I wanted to go to basketballs and I wanted to go to things that really impact this. And we keep hearing this over and over again. You always hear stories of like, oh, this foundation or this charity didn't, you know, they were uncovered for only giving 20% of their funds to the actual charitable cause and the rest went to pad somebody's pockets. I like this. I like this a lot, actually, because what's really cool about what you just talked about is that people can create apps, if you will, like whoever created Gitcoin, right? And I would imagine Gitcoin, I don't know, do they actually make money off of this thing? Is there a small transaction fee to use Gitcoin? I would imagine there probably is, right? Yeah, so Gitcoin takes a small fee, exactly. But the cool thing about it is it's on chain, right? So presumably they're just, it's all there. It's, It's transparent. You can do creative things. And I would imagine you've got a lot of creative options when you're setting up how you're going to do the kinds of things you're going to do on Gitcoin, like what you were talking about, which is crazy, this quadratic funding. Are there other examples, the peer-to-peer commerce side of things? I don't know if there was something in particular we were going to talk about how that would work, right? Because if there is a trustless concept, like this is a challenge in the world of Web3. I get random DMs from strangers saying, hey, I want to buy your mutant ape, right? I don't know who the heck they are. My, my presupposition is they're scammers. I'm never going to transact with these people, right? Because they'll probably say, just send it to me and I'll send you the money, right? So that's the chat. Like, like how is peer-to-peer commerce going to be more trusted? And are there any examples of this in this world of Web3 right now? Because there's a lot of scammers out there. Yeah, so, and, and I think that's one of the, you bring up a really good point, Michael, because it's, there's sort of an irony right now in talking about trust in Web3 because a lot of people have lost a lot of money in crypto, unfortunately. Now, those those people who lost money, those were not with true decentralized platforms. Like just to bring up FTX for a quick second, I won't dive into it. Yeah. But FTX was a centralized platform. They were not on chain. You could not see their finances. You had to trust what they were doing. And they were acting maliciously and not doing what they should have been doing. And as a result, a lot of people lost a lot of money. It's very unfortunate. So there is, I would say, it's a great question about peer-to-peer. Right now, there's still that fear around peer-to-peer that I don't think that there's yet a lot of peer-to-peer commerce happening. However, especially for creators, for creators, what is going to happen in the future is if you have a 
community of a hundred or a thousand people, and that's all you need, it's the 1,000 true fans concept, then you will be able to interact with them by selling them something directly between the two of you. Now, the apps that are really doing that are the marketplaces, the NFT marketplaces, right? Are the ones that are, and there's, my gosh, that's a whole other, we could have a whole podcast. Open blur on what's Amazon going on there. Coming soon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, apparently Amazon stuff is happening. The good news about this is I'm sure it's very possible that there could be this app that sits in the middle, right? Where you put something kind of, kind of like you do when you're buying a home you have a trusted intermediary. I forget what they call these people, right? But you give them, the, both parties give them the money and then when they verify it, then, then it essentially gets distributed, right? And if one doesn't, then it gets sent back. I would imagine there will be some widely used app that will allow someone to send something like Ethereum or an NFT to a trusted address and a smart contract will be set in place that'll say once the other person sends their digital collectible to that trusted address and the transaction will happen, right? Yes, exactly. OpenSea kind of allows you to do this, right? Because you can go ahead and you can you can make private bids on any particular NFTs and then just trust that OpenSea is going to handle the transaction as a marketplace for you. But this is kind of like the, I'm sure they probably exist. And some of the listeners are like, it's already out there. You guys don't know it. You know, I'm sure, sure. I, I'm sure they're <laughs> out there. And I'm sure that MetaMask and others are working on this kind of stuff. What I want to do is zoom in a little bit on the small businesses and the creators and what this is going to make possible. One of the things we talked about was Punk 3569, if that spurs anything in your brain. Yeah, it's actually Punk 6529. Oh, 6529. Okay. It's impossible to to keep track of all these. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about anonymous people. Yeah, I'll talk about Punk 6529, but let me actually first go back to music because when you talk about creators, music is probably the best example right now. So there's a music, a decentralized music platform called Audius, which allows artists, does really two things. It allows artists to retain ownership of their music, which without getting into the way the music industry works, most music is owned by three major labels, which is sort of archaic issue that is causing a lot of, we've all heard about how Taylor Swift doesn't own her masters, but Audius allows ownership of your music and then it allows control as well. And this is in stark contrast to Spotify. So basically on Audius, two things happen. One is when you post your music there as an artist, you get paid in royalties based upon listens. It's that's, which is the same concept of Spotify. However, on Spotify, as you said before, you're making nothing. Like the average payout on Spotify is point, I think it's point zero zero point zero zero three eight cents. So it's like like less than a like fractions, fractions of a cent. Whereas on Audius, you get 90% of the revenue generated by your streams. So you're making much higher revenue as a result of really the fact that audience is taking a much lower percentage. And then the other thing is on Audius, you can see who is listening to your music because it's all on chain. So you could then connect directly with your listeners. Whereas on Spotify, you can't do that. Spotify controls all of the data and there you don't know you know, where, where are people listening? You could ask Spotify and Spotify has dashboards for artists and everything like that. But there's much more transparency on Audius 
And I think there will be many more music, decentralized music platforms like Audius that will come out, which will enable just more control and more ownership for artists, which is yeah, super exciting. I can go back to Punk 6529 as well. So Punk 6529 uh, really believes in memes being a big part of culture, which I think is, you know, that is really the foundation of why don't you explain what punks who who he is sure just just well okay i'll I'll try this just for people that don't understand there's the crypto punks okay and 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 there's punk 6529 happens to be the person man or woman we don't know who happens to have that particular one of the ten thousand, right and he operates on twitter under a pseudonym punk 6529 so keep going with the story there you go so he is a a big believer in, in memes and memes creating culture. And so he created Memes Lab recently. It just launched uh, probably about two weeks ago. And what Memes Lab does is it allows anybody can create a meme. And you, when you create the meme, you if you create it within Memes Lab, then you're putting it on chain, which means that now we can we can verifiably say who was the creator of that meme. Whereas right now, who created like some of the most popular memes in the world, which are some of like the foundations of a lot of internet culture, who knows who first created that? There is no verifiable way to say who first created that. And there's no verifiable way to say, oh, you created that, but then who who used it or what happened after it? right? There's, there's no history. There's no track record. And blockchain enables, enables that. And Memes Labs is one of the projects that's looking to do that. I don't know if we already addressed this, but there was something about empowering communities for creators and businesses that we were going to talk about that we, that's going to be made possible specifically with the stuff that we're talking about. Does that ring any bells or did we already talk about this? No, I think that like, um, there's, there's just so many examples of this. We didn't talk about this. Let me go back to trust for a second. Trust creates an incredible flywheel effect when you have it. So when you have trust in your, let's say your creator and your audience, your readers, your followers, they trust you. What that leads to is it doesn't just lead them to buy from you. It also leads them to amplify you because they want to tell others about you. So you get word of mouth. And then it also leads them to want to participate and contribute to you. And in the past, there was no way to to do this. If I was a fan of a creator, there wasn't an easy way where I could start to build around that creator. Uh, but with blockchain, we're seeing this quite a bit with NFT projects. So um, I think you had uh, Alex, the founder of Truth Labs on your show. Did you not? Alex Taub, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, he's the he's the, yeah. I think he's got a whole bunch of different companies that he's got going on. Right. He's the, he's the guy that did the 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 Goblin Town stuff and all that. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. right. And so so Truth Lab is is an example of they launched an NFT ten ten thousand collection. Uh, actually, their first NFT was was less than ten thousand, but Goblin Town is ten thousand. Anyways, point being, anybody who on their first collection, and it, this might be true in Goblin Town too. But on one of their collections, if you purchased that NFT, you also had access to their to their DAO. And their DAO, basically, they took 50% of the money they raised from the NFT and they put it into a treasury. And they said, hey, you community members, you now manage this money. So 
do with it what you want and vote on it how you want. And that that community empowerment that didn't exist before, right? You couldn't, you know, you couldn't give money to a community and just say, especially not a bunch of internet strangers and say, Hey, you guys manage this money. You go for it, do what you want with it. So that it's the, it's really the empowering communities comes from treasury management and voting and being able to do that on chain. Jay, this has been a really fascinating discussion about web three and trust. And if people trust my voice, I would encourage everybody to go check out what the folks over at web three Academy are doing and tell everyone where they can sign up for the newsletter and also tell them where they can discover more about you. If you have a preferred social platform, maybe you can also share that as well. Yeah, for sure. So you can go to w3academy.io to sign up for the newsletter and to read hundreds of past posts that are, that are readily available and have yeah, just a wealth of content. We also have a free intro to blockchain course called the uh, going down the blockchain rabbit hole. So highly recommend it's only about three hours of content. It's a nice short course for anybody to learn the foundations of web three and blockchain. And uh, you can follow me. Uh, I'm not the most active guy on social media. So you're probably better to follow web three Academy on social media. To be honest, you can follow me at jbird underscore nft on twitter but i'm not i'm not active there i'm more of a uh, i'm the talk talk guy on the on the podcast so i'd, I'd follow us on twitter follow web3 academy it's w3 academy underscore yeah and then if they want to get the podcast they just search for web3 academy for the podcast right you got it yeah jay hamilton thank you so much for coming on and answering all my questions and sharing your thoughts about really where this whole industry is going really appreciate it thank you thanks for having me michael it was a blast Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W66. And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter, and at Web3Examiner on Warpcast slash Forecaster. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put... AI to work. Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.